0: Hello and welcome. You're listening into The Golden Thread with Jefferson Duvall and guests. Thanks for lending your ears. May your time here plant a seed, build a bridge, soften a landing, deepen your journey within, and strengthen all your relationships. Okay, it is Thursday, June 16th is the day of this recording. It's a a hot late spring here in eastern Tennessee, getting into the 90s today. Um, I'm recording this on my older laptop, which is expressing signs of heat with its fan running, so um, I don't know if that's going to pick up as background noise, but should be minimal. Today, um, venturing into a topic... Um, I've given it a title, Cultural Cults in the Soup of Modernity, Um, and this comes from a a lot of experience that I've had in being parts of uh, spiritual or psychological emotional groups uh, over the years, and the profound learning that being involved in those groups has provided, Um, well, maybe said more specifically the learning from being in and then being out of different groups and different ideologies. There's something in the vacillation movement um, from within to without that to me that I want to context this, uh, uh, this conversation today, this one-sided conversation. It's just me again. Um, I mean, generally speaking, I'm, I'm using, you know, I'm putting together cult with, because it's a root of culture and um, cults generally is a taboo subject, of course, in our society. When they're talked about, it's usually a bit at arm's length with this sort of downward-casted awkward smile as if to say, uh, yeah, those poor fools and that cult or uh, those poor souls. Um, uh, and I suppose that's reasonable to a degree, but I'm hoping here to unpack this a little bit and maybe take some of the stigma off of uh, how that word is really loaded and bring it into uh, a conversation that explores it perhaps as a, n- a necessary way that our minds and consciousness and even hearts evolve uh, in being having certain kinds of bound relationships with groups. Um, and I'm even going to offer food for thought that we all uh, drink or have drunk the proverbial uh, Kool-Aid, uh, because there's a re- like a relational mechanism um, of what we call cults and how I'm going to propose that that's built into human conditioning um, or some aspect or some phase of human conditioning. So, you know, while it may be a touchy subject for some, um, there are surely going to be distinctions that I don't make or haven't made or uh, and I would definitely like to hear your thoughts and comments if any are, are prompted. And if you're able to share them on the, the format that you're listening to this from, to me that'll just help evolve the perspective and exploration, surely not definitive. Um, a quote from Eric Fromm goes, An illusion shared by everyone becomes a reality. And a poignant Quote from René Guénon goes: "The end of a world." Quote unquote never is and never can be anything but the end of an illusion. So, you know, many psychiatrists and psychologists. Um, no, I'm going to come back to that. Actually, <laughs> um, I find it's worth stating here that for a cultic relationship to exist, right there there perhaps must be at some level an absence of doubt and a presence of blind faith with a conviction of truth about reality that allows the individual to operate coherently within that, let's call it a cultic family structure. Blind faith, I'm defining that here as something believed in, which has no proof that can be conveyed successfully to another who doesn't share the belief. And I want to distinguish a little bit that that the roots of the word faith derive more from uh, trust. Um, uh, A quick note on what I experience and define faith as in in my own life. Um, When I mention faith, I'm referencing or referring not to blind belief that needs no evidence. I'm referring to what is for me an empirical and individual-based body of ongoing evidence uh, that validates without angst or need uh, my understanding of a unifying force or a divine order, underlying principles, or e- even a deity that governs such. In other words, faith as the core mechanism to testing and confirming my relationship to that which gives order to my life and that which is greater than the sum of all matter. What I mean by that is, is that in that the order of intelligence that which is greater than the sum of all matter gives rise to what we call matter and that order's intelligence gives rise to the process of expressed human intelligence language through language that we call reason however being the source from which reason arises it's therefore greater than even reason's scope now this is uh, you know, this is new for me. In in starting to grok this, um, it's come through reading and contemplating the work of um, Rene Gwinon, um and Frithjof, Frithjof Schuon and a few others. Um, that's really it's been very profound because I I definitely feel that there's further um, learning for me to do even within the scope of reason, like that, you know, learning to reason better. In other words, but in coming to this orientation of, oh right, something gave rise to it in the first place, um, and that ties with what my experience of faith is. Um, So what occurs to me as a unification of epistemological and ontological knowledge, or I guess in other words, the capacity uh, and limitation of what we call knowing, or the epistemological, and the accessing of lived experiences in what we call the present moment as the, ontolo- uh, as the ontological. So it, there's this experience of where both come together. In uh, you know there, there, There's a knowing that exists with a being um, simultaneously, and that's also connected to my experience of what I call faith. For what it's worth. Um, specifically, in doing my best to describe my experience... Um, as of late, that there's this state of being, a state of peaceful joy uh, that seems to give rise to that, this knowing and, and even a certainty of my place within a greater order. Um, right? It's not necessary, I mean, it's, that's hard to put into language because um, it's a knowing that's connected to a state of being. Um, but I might describe it that there's this like spiraling movement, like where it's it's like the the knowing and the certainty of my place within that order feeds into this experience of being loved and connected to something. Let's say through like an umbilical cord of love um, that in my experience, operates independent of outer conditions or, you know, anything that's going on outside of me. And then it just sort of feeds, it's kind of feeding back on itself, the the certainty, the knowing, and then the feeling. And so it's from this place that I find my capacity to love grows out of, right? It's like, it's like, oh, be, it's almost like realizing that Being this capacity or allowance of being loved is the thing that love grows out of. It it allows me to love, and that's another maybe simpler way of talking about um, feeling my place in this in in a more in a greater order or divine order. Um, It's something that I at one time thought I thought it was an ability. But now I would regard it as an inborn capacity, you know, something that I see as that's fundamentally human, and I, I and that human has a capital H to me. Like, what is human is born out of that divine order. Like, that's actually what hum- humanness is. Um, it's not divorced from it. Um, here's a quote from Robert, the author, Robert. Um, Uh, Heinlein, and it goes like this. uh, It is a truism that almost any sect, cult, or religion will legislate its creeds into law if it acquires the political power to do so, and will follow it by suppressing opposition, subverting all education to seize the early minds of the young, and by killing, locking up, or driving underground all heretics. Um, That's, uh, you know... Obviously, much more of a, a cultural, um, cultural application of cult, um, and I—I I don't know about you, but I definitely see the markings of this happening in our world in ways that I never thought I'd see. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, just some like, you know, book definitions of cult and even culture, just to you know, just to bring it into the conversation. So, you know, when it comes to cult, you know, I've got my couple of uh, unabridged dictionaries. So we've got religious practice, worship, um, a system of beliefs and ritual connected with the worship of a deity, a spirit, or group of deities or spirits, like the cult of Apollo or Earth cult. The rites, ceremonies, and practices of a religion, the formal aspect of religious experience. Um, a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious, also a minority religious group holding beliefs regarded as unorthodox or spurious. Uh, This one really stands out. Um, A system for the cure of disease based on the dogma, tenets, or principles set forth by its promulgator to the exclusion of scientific experience or demonstration. Wow. Wow. This was in the, this, this uh, older unabridged dictionary. I'm going to read that one again. A system for the cure of disease based on the dogma, tenets, or principles set forth by its promulgator to the exclusion of scientific experience or demonstration. Um, I just, it's fascinating in this world of inversion we seem to be living in. And then the last one here, definition for cult, uh, a great or excessive devotion or dedication to some person, idea, or thing, such devotion regarded as a literary or intellectual fad or fetish. Um, So I've, I've defined it as a collective conscious but often unconscious way of feeling, thinking, opining, and acting or operating within a group of people that is a net result of a homogenous collection of core beliefs about the world and what the self's place is within that worldview, influenced most strongly by shared emotional responses that pertain to the consequences of what it would mean to not believe the dominant ideological strain. Uh, I'm going to read that again. So my definition of cult is a collective conscious but often unconscious way of feeling thinking opining and acting or operating within a group of people that is a net result of a homogeneous collection of core beliefs about the world and what the self's place is within that world view influenced most strongly by shared emotional responses as pertaining to the consequences of what it would mean to not believe the dominant ideological strain So I'm going to move on to some definitions for culture. So we've got the art or practice of cultivating, which I love. I love that that's the first one. I didn't expect that to be the first one, but it was in in this book. Uh, The manner or method of cultivating. Uh, Next definition, the act of developing by education, discipline, social experience, the training or refining of the moral and intellectual faculties. The cultivation or rearing of a particular product or crop or stock for supply. And then the total pattern of human behavior and its product embodied in thought, speech, action, and artifacts and dependent upon man's capacity for learning and transmitting knowledge to succeeding generations through the use of tools, language, and systems of abstract thought. Um, So I'm going to read a quote here, Um, this is, I believe it's Eric Fromm, yes, Eric Fromm, and it goes like this, Uh, many psychiatrists and psychologists refuse to entertain the idea that society as a whole may be lacking in sanity. They hold that the problem of mental health in a society is only that of the number of unadjusted, quote-unquote, individuals, and not of the possible unadjustment of the culture itself. Now, that's an interesting statement, right? Because, I mean, a a culture can only be in a, a, you know, a, a conglomeration of individuals. So if, to use language of of that the culture itself—it's almost like giving it a singularity—and I think that's—it's kind of like a false equivalent. Um, yeah, it's a, a bit of a false equivalent. It seems like to me um, to give uh, um, culture an identity in that sense—it's—it's it's made up of individuals, but still an interesting statement. It kind of goes with Krishnamurti's. Mur- Mur- uh, I believe it's something along the lines of um, it is no sign of health to be well adjusted in a profoundly sick society. Um, a little more succinct, I suppose. Um, moving on to uh, I want to talk about back you know about the individual a little bit, uh, or at least about what uh, about individuation. Um, individuation is i'm not sure who coined the term on honestly i don't know if it was it was young um uh, but i'm the i I kind of brought it into a definition of sorts and here's what i've got so the act or process of individuating or the state of being individuated you know one of those great definitions that uses the word um the development of the individual from the universal or the determination of the individual in the general Um, I'll read that one again. The development of the individual from the universal, or the determination of the individual in the general. That's interesting to me. That's getting a bit into more of like an esoteric um, frame. Uh, you know, uh, of you know the, the in, within the particular lies the universal, and, and you know Mandelbrot sets and, and fractals and things like that. Um, the the next definition is the process by which individuals in society become differentiated from one another come to occupy different statuses and roles and tend to lose group or class identity. I thought that was interesting. Um, So according to Jung, uh, in a generalized way, individuation is the achievement of self-actualization through a process of integrating the conscious and the unconscious, right? Um, I think it's worth noting that Jung intended for that to encompass the philosophical, mystical, and spiritual areas of the human being, not just, you know, psychological. Um, here's a couple of quotes from Jung to, to let him speak in his own seed language here. Uh, Be grateful for your difficulties and challenges they hold blessings. In fact, man needs difficulties. They are necessary for health, personal growth, individuation, and self-actualization. And then uh, individuation is to divest the self of false wrappings. Uh, And now to just give some definition to self-actualization. I think this got mostly popularized by, you know, Maslow, uh, Abraham Maslow, in his, uh, I guess it's psychology of self-actualization. So the process of making the self real in acts. The process of making the self real in acts. I like that, right, it's through acts. So then I'm looking at actual, and the word actual, and the word self. So actual, Existing in acts, as contrasted with potential and possibility, then existing in fact or reality, really acted or acting, um, or or carried out, contrasted with ideal and hypothetical, and then self defined as belonging to oneself or one's, you know, to be own or to own. Two brief definitions here: having a single quality or character throughout and the integrated unity of subjective experience, specifically including those characteristics and attributes of the experiencing organism of which it is reflexively aware. (laughs) Sorry, I just, I laugh at that because sometimes when a word, you know, tries to claim objectivity in the definition of something that we are as human beings, (laughs) ourself, it just, it makes me chuckle a little bit. Uh, but nonetheless. So here's another Young quote just to come back out of those the, the definitions. The difference between the natural individuation process which runs its course unconsciously and the one that is consciously realized is tremendous. In the first case consciousness nowhere intervenes. The end remains as dark as the beginning. In the second case so much darkness comes to light that the personality is permeated with light and consciousness necessarily gains in scope and insight. The encounter between conscious and unconscious has to ensure that the light, uh, that, the light that shines in the darkness is not only compre- comprehended by the darkness, but comprehends it." Um, so just to tie that back a little bit, right, I said at the beginning here, there's been something, you know, why I'm even ha- you know, talking about this is in the experience of being within certain group, spiritual, psychological, um, personal growth uh, environments, and then being within them, having a, a trust and a faith in the ideologies around growth and then moving out of them. And at times, the moving out of them has to do with a certain you know betrayal of the faith. Uh, if, if, if for those of you that listen to this, uh, I, there was a Rumi poem that I talked about in the last uh, podcast about uh, it goes something like, only when faith turns to betrayal and betrayal to trust does a person uh, become part of the truth so right in the in the faith going to betrayal and oh i thought this was the way i thought this was the key to learning i thought these were the key insights and having that break and per- something break open inside of me has been a profound you know vacillation uh, that that has yielded just tremendous tremendous learning um so I want to talk about cult as a verb, culting. Um, Even one of the bodies of work that I was within, which I would, in hindsight, call, that I say that I had a cultic relationship with, we would even talk about that within the group, right? We would talk about cult as a verb. There's a lot of brilliance and insight, uh, however still blind to what was happening. Um, You know, I call it like having a false meta perspective or a false i guess you could say a false meta objectivity about what was going on so if you think about cult as a verb okay um I'm, i'm inviting you to think about culting as a way of being in relationship with other people in a group or in one society predicated on acceptable safe you know, or relevant to the situation, seemingly safe, virtuous, and generally agreed upon ideologies, especially when the ideology is not seen as such, but is related to as de facto truth, right? That the the ideology is like what makes real, real, what makes reality, reality. Uh, Now this is like, you know, this is kind of like almost like endemic of culture. I, I don't think, I don't know that, you can separate cults from culture. I, I don't know. That's kind of the ex- part of the exploration here, and I'm I'm really even I'm not even trying to come from some kind of place of, a, of a pathology. Even um, I'm, I guess I'm I'm inviting you to think about the experience of relating to a group in a cultic way as a profound. Uh, potential for learning and maybe even necessary process of learning um, that's not just mental um, that's also connected to the heart and the other aspects of our intelligence as human beings Um, as especially in moving in and out in and out of different groups and ideologies and and faith Um, i'm going to little quote from james hillman here the the Um, late psychologist great psychologist i think he was yeah Uh, how can we know ourselves by ourselves soul needs intimate connection not only to individuate but simply to live for this we need relationships of the profoundest kind through which we can realize ourselves where self-revelation is possible where interest in and love for soul is paramount So, I'm going to go and unpack a bit my statement about all of us potentially having drunk or participated in cultic relational mechanisms at some point, uh, if not presently. Uh, Right, so modern definitions of a cult speak of a, you know, there's a charismatic leader often accompanied by delusions of grandeur, uh, reworkings of spiritual doctrine and reasons for being. Uh, and the giving over of self-control to the authority of the group and so on. Um, Well, think about your childhood, okay? Um, Any charismatic leaders there in your household? Um, Any chance you looked up to one of those people in a godlike manner for a stretch of time? Um, Let's say as a six-year-old, you know, were you able to decide your own values and implement them fully if different from the quote-unquote leader's agenda, right? Right. Again, um, this this is not necessarily about direct equivalence of a modern definition of a cult, as much as you know how we grow through relationships and belief and modeling of you know those who you know dominate our lives and 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 provide care for us in, to whatever degree um, that happens for us. So I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to, to break open the stigma of perceived weakness around what it is to be um, part of or, um, you know, relating cultically. So, of course, we wouldn't say that you joined a cult as a child, right? That's ridiculous. No, you just, you know, you signed up for it in your life by coming into existence, um, which is another conversation for another day. Um So a couple of what ifs, right? a couple of inquiries here. What if in the process of what is called individuation, there's a necessity of being a participant in what I'll call the cultic mechanism? What if in the process of what is called individuation, there is a necessity of being a participant in the cultic mechanism? And uh, what if being indoctrinated, uh, regardless of intent, to have your mind conditioned into fixated belief systems that are shared with those around us which then dictate what we deem as true is simply part of how we evolve our thinking and perhaps our, our soulful experiences and what if in the what if in the breaking open of the formal crystallized belief or blind faith within what could be called the rushing in of new oxygen, even if painful for a while, right, after that, that breaking open. Perhaps the experience of perceiving and feeling betrayed by that belief structure and the people therein is also part of continuing the individuation process. So, right, that's, you know, some of the, you know, uh, applying some inquiries to this to, to see if, Anything opens up. Maybe, maybe not. Um, What if having the cultic experience isn't something to be shamed or avoided? Um, What if it's something to be embraced, examined, and considered deeply by any person willing to allow a larger range of possible influences to inform growth, evolution, um, um, even, even relative demise? So... It's reasonable to have a knee-jerk response to the notion that I'm talking about—that that that every one of us is might be susceptible to being inculturated um, or um, inculcated, um, because that's not uh, that's not pretty. That's not not even desirable. Um, I mean, there's so much stigma around this, of course, right? Um, and, and, and it's like, I, I don't know that anybody would choose that if we, we would really choose that for ourselves. There's something else that, that's moving us to learn and grow and, and be a part of the group, connection, um, you know, love, shared love, connection, things like that. So I just want you to, I just invite you to really consider it as a larger mechanism that might, if true, to some degree, serve something in the grand scheme of things for... Um, greater individuation and what I call to to more cleanly return home uh, in life and return home to ourselves and return home to that which we were created from. And I'll sort of finish here, no, I will finish here by saying that this there's kind of like this, a bit of a duality or a movement implied in being in or out of a cult or having a cultic relationship to groups or ideologies. Um, But I think this could be described as the difference between facing the stark journey of self-reflectivity and the contemplation that goes along with it while simultaneously living into the need to learn um, through being in relationships Versus being almost entirely enamored by the false self refraction or refractivity, if that's a word, uh, of the popular, you know, of the populace, um, and that it can be the populace, but it can also be esoteric ideations. You know, there's a false self refraction in in being. You, know, you can get sucked into esoteric branches uh, and, and ideologies. Because there's a trance state that can that either of them can invoke. And again, I don't I can't say that that's a bad thing. I can't even put that into a good and bad frame um, as much as what if it's necessary? They're just necessary movements and ways of relating that are setting us up to have our hearts break open again and again um, for for greater learning and and greater peace. But um, for me, that movement from within to without groups uh, cultic, doing that cultically at times has been for me a profound breaking open of my heart, right? For this allowance of what, what I might call like a composting humility in, that involves grieving and praising and, and, and an expansion of what I judge is an innate capacity for peace and joy, Um, To be able to be within and at times live from, you know, love, capital L, love, uh, that is bound by this continual testing of what I experience as faith. So um, thanks for listening in. Uh, I hope you'll keep joining uh, and pretty soon I'll be getting some guests on the show. Take care.